Hey everyone, and welcome to Bury the Hatchet. I'm your host, Brian Enstein. You know, tackling touchy subjects in the right way is a special skill, and frankly, not everybody has it. But the inability to understand people we disagree with is tearing apart our communities, our friendships, and our families. But we can do better. We must do better. If you're ready to talk about hard things without the hard feelings, join me as we rediscover the lost arts of listening and reconciliation. Join me as we learn to bury the hatchet. So here we are. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being here. I am beyond excited. This is the very first episode of Bury the Hatchet. Uh, If you're not familiar with that phrase, uh, that may seem like a rather odd title to you. Um, The phrase Bury the Hatchet uh, alludes to uh, an old Native American custom of burying weapons uh, as a token of peace. I had heard that phrase many times uh, when I was younger, and I, I guess I always thought it was something of, a, of an urban legend, but I, I looked it up, and turns out that that actually is a, a genuine custom that has happened many, many times uh, throughout history. Several of the, the peace treaties between uh, various uh, Native American nations in the United States, as well as Canada and Great Britain, uh, some of the treaties included, you know, language about bearing a hatchet. Some of them had hatchet bearing ceremonies. Anyway, the point is, it means to make peace, to stop fighting, uh, and to find uh, a better way, a way of reconciliation. Uh, and that's what this podcast is all about. It's about finding a way to talk about the things that we normally can't talk about without somebody getting angry and somebody becoming combative, which happens too often. Um, you know, we if you're anything like me, you've had more experiences than you can count where, you know, you're trying to discuss something important, which is usually something sort of hot button or controversial, and it, it becomes a form of combat. Somebody gets offensive, somebody gets defensive, and before you know it, we're we're fighting with our words instead of actually talking. And I, I think there's a better way. In fact, I'm convinced that there's a better way, and that's what we're here to discover together. You know, is there a way? to discuss and even to vehemently disagree on important things without becoming adversarial, without becoming enemies. Um, that's what we're here to discover. And uh, I'll tell you, for on a, on a personal note, my, my wife is a debate coach uh, at the middle school level. She teaches and she also you know coaches the debate team. And I've learned so much uh, from what she tells me. I never have done debate on a competitive level. Um, but, you know, I, I learned from her that one of the things that the students are required to do is to prepare to argue both sides of an issue. They're, they're given a topic, uh, and they, when, when they get into the competition, they're told, okay, this team is going to be arguing in favor, this is going to be arguing against, and then they go. And they don't know until they get there whether they're going to be on the pro side or the con side. And I thought, how awesome is that, that they have to thoroughly understand and be able to defend uh, completely opposite positions. You know, what a great way for them to actually thoroughly understand uh, the issue at hand. It, you know, and I, it, it reminded me of, of a book that I read years and years ago that had a, a really big impact on me called The Seven Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty well-known book. But the, the, the one habit that stuck with me the most is... 
Um, the author Stephen Covey says that you should seek first to understand and then to be understood. You know, and, and how often do we do the reverse? Do we want we want other people to know our point of view and we want other people to agree with us before we're willing to put forth the effort to understand where it is that they're coming from? You know, and that's that's a skill. That's a rare thing. Uh, but, it, you know, it, I can tell you from from personal experience, it works so much better that way. Um, so that's what we're going to be about here. We're going to seek first to understand and then we'll be in a place to, to help other people understand us. So I thought, what better way to start off the show than with our very first episode tackling what is probably one of the hardest things to talk about um, in, in certain contexts, which is religion. You know, there is nothing that brings people closer together and nothing that tears them farther apart at the same time. So I want to start with, um, I interviewed... Um, uh, a gentleman by the name of James Sanford. He's the president of the Iowa State University Atheist and Agnostic Society. Uh, very grateful to to have his insight on this. So let's uh, let's go over to James and see what he has to say. Okay, James, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. I really wow. appreciate it. Um, so again, let's just with your with your background, let's just start. So you're currently the president of the ISU um, Atheist and Agnostic yes, Society. Yes, I am. Okay. And so just, I guess just for, for our audience, tell us a little bit about it. And you, you and I have already kind of chatted a little bit, mm -hmm. but tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you grew up, uh, what you're studying here, uh, and kind of how you got involved with uh, with the Atheist and Agnostic Society here. Well, um, I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, I was in a Wesleyan household, so kind of a Methodist kind of, it's a pretty, pretty, center of the road average uh, Christian family and um, I uh, you know was always the curious one the one that asked the Sunday school teacher too many questions until she told me to shut up so. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed going to youth group um, it gave me a sense of community all my friends were there and um, so you know as I get got older and got into college I started to realize that a lot of this stuff that I was told as a kid, I didn't, I didn't really buy it anymore. I didn't believe it. I, I took a religious studies class, and I, uh, it was very interesting for me learning about all the different religions and how they're all different, but also how a lot of them are very similar and connected. And I, I started to realize that I was pretty sure that these were all man-made, or at least they, they, they didn't seem to uh, make any sense as far as what I knew about the world. And so I started to move away from that, um, more, became more of a deist, someone just kind of believed that there was a God, but he just doesn't do anything anymore. If, if I may, James, real quick, mm -hmm. um, um, what you, you said that you, you kind of started to, to sort of change your mind, you know, uh, when you were taking some of these religious studies classes, mm -hmm. if if you could share with us just specifically uh, what sorts of things were you were you learning or like kind of walk us through that the thought process to the, what what kind of changed your so, mind for you? So the connection between um, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and how they're all interconnected, I, I found very fascinating. But I also wondered how these people got to these different results. Every single one of them says they're right and the others are wrong. Well, they can't all be wrong. One of them's got to be right, or none of them's got to be right. It's got to be that or that. And so I started to, to, to dig into what I had been taught, and I realized that 
I had been taking everything uh, that I had been taught just at face value. I hadn't been questioning it. I hadn't been, you know, I really just, well, my parents and Sunday school teachers told me, and I trust them, so obviously it's true. And then I realized, researching on my own, I don't really buy this anymore. <laughs> maybe they were wrong, and maybe I was wrong. And so that's kind of how I got, you know, down first, you know, it, it's always a, a, it's kind of a slow journey more than a just, I'm an atheist. It's never like that. It's always a journey. A lot of people become deists and then spiritual, but not religious, then agnostic and then atheist. If, if you could, um, cause I know I'm, I'm not too terribly familiar with, uh, mm -hmm. with a lot of the terminology. What, what, what do you mean when you say become a, become a deist? What is, what does that so mean? So many of the founding fathers were deists. Deist would be someone who believes that a God made the universe, but that since he made the universe, he's been hands off, not touched it, not done anything with it. Um, so that's, that's what a lot of deists are. And, um, that I was that for a little bit, not very long, but for a little bit. So. Okay, and then you sort of, I guess, com completed the transition, you could say, right. to now. And and I guess this this goes back to a, a, another question that I that I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. It's it's the atheist and agnostic society. Could you kind of explain to us a little bit what's the difference yes. between those and kind of where you think that's that you fall in? That's one of the biggest in? questions we get. Um, it, if you if you look at say okay, so take a graph and put a horizontal a horizontal and a vertical axis. Now there's four four squares. On one axis is Gnostic and Agnostic, and on the other axis is Atheist and Theist. They're on two different lines, as you can see, because an Agnostic is the um, um, amount of how sure you are. And then the Theist versus Atheist is your conclusion. So there are Gnostic Atheists, Gnostic Theists, Agnostic Atheists, and Agnostic Theists. Um, so an agnostic theist would be someone who, I believe in God, but I could be wrong. While a, a, a gnostic atheist is someone who's, there's no God, period, that's it. You can't change my mind. Now, I consider myself an agnostic atheist, meaning I don't really believe there's God, but I could be wrong. And why, why do you think that you... You could be wrong. I know that you said when you were when you were growing up in in your 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 Christian home, mm -hmm. it was you you felt sure if if I'm understanding what mostly, you said, but, but I, mostly because you didn't know anything else. Right, I, is what um, it sounded like. I choose. I, I am I am an agnostic atheist because in life there are always gradients. You could always be wrong, and I am not. I, I find I find atheists who say there's no God. Period. End of story. To be kind of um, up themselves. What do you say? Uh, conf not confident. They they are full of themselves. Basically, they think they're right no matter what. Nobody should think that they should. All, you're always possible. You're wrong. And I know that that for for many religious people, that is sort of the stereotype that we have of. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll say it that I'm I consider myself a religious person. Um, but that is kind of. I guess kind of the idea that we have, at least when we, you know, like when when if you if you grow up in a in a religious tradition and oh, there's people who don't believe in God, you know, yeah. it is kind of this yeah. kind of this really bad misconception and stereotype that that you can get that you know the atheists are just they're just so sure of themselves and they're so confident that their own 
mental any, powers any good, are, but, but that doesn't really skeptic, apply to you. Any good skeptic would always know that there's a possibility that they're wrong. Um, I know very many Christians who say th- that I'm very sure there's a God, but I could be wrong. And I think that's a lot better than there's no way you're gonna ever, ever going to change your mind because it leaves room for growth and learning and digging into what you believe. Now, I, I know that another, kind of another uh, conception stereotype, if you will, that's really easy for uh, religious people to, to form of, you know, those who call themselves agnostic or, or atheist. And I guess, I guess, you know, based on what you've shared with us so far, you know, it is possible to be both religious and agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess for, for many people, sort of our, the, the idea of morality, of what is right, what is wrong, what makes a good life, um, the reason uh, that human life has value or whether human life has value. A lot of the things that we consider good mm-hmm. in our modern society kind of come from the religious roots that many mm-hmm. people have. So could you talk to us a little bit about about that? Because I mean, I'm, I'm going to presume you have some kind of moral compass or moral funding. Where does that come from, from, a, from an atheist perspective? Yeah, that's, a big, that's another question we get a lot. Um, for me, I get my morality from empathy. That is, I, I know that I want to be treated well. I don't want to be killed or yelled at or whatever. And if I am good to other people, they will reciprocate that to us. Now, that can even go farther into, I want my kids to be treated well. I want my kids to have a better world. So I, that's why I choose to do, you know, I choose actions that will better society. Now, a lot of people... I, I think it's funny that a lot of people say, well, how can you be good without God? And I said, well, if suddenly tomorrow there was no God, you wouldn't just go murder your neighbor, would you? So I think I think that I, you know, the biggest one of the big things about the atheist and agnostic society is we say you can be good without God. So if I'm if I'm understanding you, you know, you you recognize that, you know, a lot of the sort of a lot of the the feelings and the empathy the empathy as you put it mm-hmm. that motivates a lot of this what we think is good in ourselves and in each other you know that's in you whether you right. believe in god or not exactly okay so how does i i guess how does your your atheist worldview your perspective how does that influence things like your relationships with other people okay so when i was um when i was a, a, a in the church and stuff, um, it wasn't a particularly fundamentalist one, but they still had the uh, ooh, the people of the LGBT community are icky, stay away from them. I found that actually, it wasn't it was the thing that changed my mind was about that kind of stuff was really getting out of the religion because once I got out of the religion, there was no longer any justification I could use to feel that way because it's all coming from the text, and if I don't believe the text. And then there's nothing, nothing to fear, nothing. No, there's nothing there to, and so I, suddenly I found my, my, my whole thing on that changing. So that's one of the things that's changed relationships. Um, some people have gotten upset that I, I don't believe in God anymore. Some people are totally cool with it. Some people are like, well, it's your belief, but don't go spread that to my kids or something. My mom, my mom was funny. I was talking to my mom about how, you know, I've been talking to my brother about it, and I think he's starting to, you know changed his mind she's like don't you corrupt our our son and since she put her hand over her mouth and i didn't mean that 
Yes, you did, Mom. But I love you. <laughs> has has that been difficult? You know, sort of. I guess does it sort of make you feel like a leper a little bit? You know, and and feeling like you you don't really get to express what you really think and how you really feel about things. I definitely. However, I am one of the luckiest ones because even though I have been I've been vocal about my opinions on this. My parents haven't like kicked me out of the house or disowned me or anything like that. I and I don't really bring it up with my mom and dad much. I mean, I I told them when I first started realizing that was but um some people have they've gotten kicked out of their house. They've had, you know, disowned. In some countries you can be killed for being atheist. You can be murdered by the state. It's illegal and they will kill you. Um there's quite a few countries like that. And and so the atheist and agnostic society is like a group of like-minded people they can come together if you know it's a community for people because sometimes some people don't have any family or friends left because of it and they need a community and that's what this group is about so in a way it's almost like a like a support group for people who Definitely. really don't have anyone else Definitely. that they can yes. share their yes. their thoughts with great so how does how does this um your I guess sort of your your journey that you've gone through how, has that changed your uh, your opinions on things like politics or you know the purpose of life what makes a good life things like that. Um, yes, for uh, somewhat. Um, I've become more uh, things issues of things like separation of church and state have all come you know come more important to me. But I've really not been that political for very long. I mean, I I kind of follow politics now. But um, it's it's not a big part of my life, I would say. Um, and that you know, and that's and that's interesting to me because I know that another stereotype that's really easy to get in the religious community is that you know, and 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 and, and you talk so much about you know the the dangers of the state that tells you what it is that you have to believe, but it's so it's so easy um, you know to to think of things like. The godless police state, like in you know the Soviet Union, comes to mind, yeah. or it, you know all these militant places that are always trying to quash well, religion. But that's can be just as bad too. So, and it, it's it's just so interesting to to hear that from you that 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 doesn't seem to be your your way at all. No. So now, tell me about. I know you you shared with us a little bit about your your family. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? I mean, do you frequently have interactions with religious people? I get specifically the more Gnostic, the more confident religious people. And what are those like for you? Um. Well, I I try not. I I don't know very many people who are like who are just so set in their ways that they you can't change their mind. But usually with those people, you're not gonna try and change their mind anyway because they've already they've already set their mind. I mean, I may talk to them, but. Um, well, like the other day, we had a street preacher that came here, and and he was arguing with you know a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of the Christians were coming and yelling at him because you're giving us a bad name, and and so there are a couple of people who I I believe were atheists, but I'm not sure because you can never know anybody, but but they were arguing with him and yelling at him, and there was a lot of Christians who were yelling at him, and I was just there passing around bingo sheets, and we had so much fun. <laughs> bingo sheets yes so we had um street preacher bingo it's a bingo sheet that has like all the things that he might say on them and we were having people who were getting blackout on that 
It was so much fun. Um, so I'm never going to change his mind, so I might as well have some fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. Now, if uh, I, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, we, we touched on it a little bit about sort of where your um, – where your idea of of morality and and values in life comes from. And you said that it stems primarily from empathy. Um, Have you, have you ever had a time where you didn't feel empathy? In other words, you you sort of didn't feel that, but you still thought, you know, maybe this is the right thing to do, even if, you know, showing kindness to somebody, even if you don't like them sort of a thing. Um, I guess, kind of the idea of like the death penalty for me because i believe that the death penalty should be completely abolished but obviously the it's hard to have empathy for a serial killer or something like that but um so then how do you how do you handle that sort of disconnect it's hard to say i think it's mostly because you know it's a fellow human being and their death is no is not going to do any good you know it's more well i mean there's also the justification that it's more expensive to do that but that's beside the point (laughs) i um there are sometimes things that are hard to square um but that doesn't mean i i i get it from a higher power it just means that i can't necessarily i don't necessarily know i guess you know one thing that's important to be able to say is i just don't know don't know and that's it. You know, you don't have to try and justify yourself if you don't know. Just say, I don't know. And that's, I think that's something that people have a hard time doing. They'd rather say, they, they'd rather have a, a wrong answer than no answer at all. Was that difficult for you to get to the point where you said, I don't really know if there is a God? It was at first, but it got easier with time. So. Great. So let me... Just real quick, Les, one one more question that, that I want to ask you here. But before we get to that, um, if we do have any um, students here at Iowa State that are that are listening, that are in the audience, um, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about the club, what you do, where you meet, what kind of things you do, if anyone is interested? Sure. So um, we meet on Wednesdays, um, every other Wednesday. On one Wednesday, we'll have the Ask an Atheist table at the library. If it's like winter and it's snowing or raining, we we might have it in the Memorial Union. And what what is that? The Ask an Atheist it, table. You can come up and ask us anything you want. Usually, people ask us the questions you're asking. How do you get your morality? Um, what is the difference between an agnostic and an atheist? Um, and then we also meet um, our group meets on the opposite Wednesday in the Memorial Union, and there we'll do all sorts of things. We'll um, anything you can consider it a youth group race at least, I guess. It's just a community. We get together, we have fun. Maybe we'll play some Smash Bros. Maybe we'll play Cards Against Humanity. Maybe we'll go get pizza, go bowling. Um, sometimes we'll have a speaker who talks about things that might interest us. Separation of Church and State. Our advisor is in the philosophy department. His name's um, Clark Wolf, and he he does a political philosophy. So he said he could do a talk on um on a separation of church and state. Um, I also have um, some contacts um, from out of town that could do, because I was in, before I got to here, I was in the Lynn County Humanist Society, and so I know people there that can give talks too. Would you, what uh, what books or authors or 
public speakers would you recommend to, to those in the audience who are interested in learning a little more? Um, I would definitely recommend Seth Andrews. He's got a podcast, but he's also on YouTube, um, The Thinking Atheist. He has a lot of conversations like this, so it's not not any of your shouty atheist kind of stuff. I also um, also def- definitely recommend... Um, there are, I, I haven't read very many books in a while, but um, I was reading, oh man, I can't remember the author's name, but it was um, The Founding Myth, Why Christian Fundamentalism is uh, Un-American. It talks kind of about, you know, the founding of our nation and how it was founded as a secular nation and how the founders wanted that separate. Um, so that was a good book that I liked. So those are kind of the things I recommend. Great, thank you. So my, my last question for you here, James, um, what is the one thing that you wish that religious people would understand about atheism and agnosticism? There's a lot more of us than you might realize. Your brother could be an atheist. Your best friend could be an atheist. Some people are afraid to come out. Um, according to, I think, census, I don't know if it was the census or something else, but a quarter of the uh, a population considers themselves in the category of nuns, meaning they don't believe in a god, they may be religious but not spiritual, or they're agnostic or something like that. And that's a fourth of our population. That's a lot of people, and it's growing exponentially every year. Definitely a, a demographic that's worth giving a lesson to. So James Sanford, president of the Iowa State Atheist and Agnostic Society, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, no really problem. appreciate it. Thank you. Well, big thank you again to, to James for granting me that interview. Uh, and I thought, you know, for, for a contrary opinion, um, let's head over to uh, Monica Moylan, who is a representative from the Iowa State University Catholic student community. Okay, we have Monica Moylan here from the Catholic student community here at Iowa State. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate yeah, you being course. here. Yeah. So uh, I guess for for the sake of our audience, Monica, just, you know, first of all, tell us who you are, where you're from, what you're doing here, what are you studying? Um, who are you? Sure. Um, so I'm from Urbandale, Iowa, um, so in Des Moines, and I'm a senior studying civil engineering here. Um, I'm also the president of Engineers Without Borders, so that's a club at Iowa State. Um, and what, 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 what does Engineers Without Borders do? Yeah. So we're partnered with a <clears throat> and low-income country, and so we're partnered with Ghana, which is in Africa, specifically a village named Ulo. And so we designed and created a water distribution system for them, and so we're continuing that um, process, and we send students over as a travel team. So. Okay. So what made you want to come here to Iowa State out of all places? Yeah, I have two older sisters, and they both went to St. Louis University, but I knew that I was wanted to do some form of engineering, and so Iowa State was pretty close to home and a really great school for engineering, so it, it all seemed to add up. Cool, so what, I, what, what made you want to do civil engineering? I guess what are your plans after graduate? Because you're a senior, right? Yep. So you're, you're just about done here. Yeah. So what, what have you got going on afterwards? Mm-hmm. So um, started off at civil engineering. I had a high school teacher in engineering that was a previously civil engineer. And so that kind of got my eyes open to that. And then uh, I came in undeclared engineering my freshman year. Um, but when I joined Engineers Without Borders, I saw that most of the projects were uh, heavily civil-based. And so I thought I could really help 
um, a lot of people with that major. So that's kind of what led me to that. And it was one of the um, engineering majors with more chemistry without being a chemical engineer. So I liked that aspect of it. And following graduation, um, have an offer to work at a engineering consulting company in Des Moines or possibly go into mission works. Cool. Now that that's really interesting to me that it was, it was sort of the the service side of the engineering that you were you were doing the engineers without borders service and then you said hey you know with a degree in civil engineering I can do more of this right I can be you know more useful in this kind of thing and that's what kind of led you that way that's that's really interesting so I'm I'm gonna assume maybe this maybe I shouldn't but um, did you were, did you grow up Catholic um, and that was that kind of what drew you to the engineers without borders thing because I know that you know the Catholic community is leans really heavily on charities. That's a big thing that they do. So kind of tell us a little bit about how you grew up um, in the Catholic Church and kind of how that led you to the the point you're at today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I went through uh, K through 12 Catholic schooling. So I went to St. Pius in Urbandale and then Dowling Catholic High School in West Des Moines. And we had so many um, service projects, you know, going to Catholic schooling, it, it's required, first of all, so that way it sort of becomes a habit, um, but also even without it, a requirement, you know, it's still enjoyable and impactful. Um, and my dad, he's a carpenter, and he did some mission trips um, to Africa with an organization called Medicine for Mali, and so I had heard about that sort of service work abroad, and then I heard of Doctors Without Borders, but then coming to Iowa State, um, at uh, Destination Iowa State, actually, I saw a booth for Engineers Without Borders, which I never knew existed. And I thought, wow, this is perfect. Like, engineering and service work, like, this is a great combination of both. That's really cool. That's really cool. Your, your dad sort of set that example for you. Now, is, is your dad also Catholic? Yes, both all, both my parents are Catholic. Both your parents are Catholic. Okay. I, now, I, I, maybe, this, maybe this is kind of a silly question. Um, but obviously, you know, you were you were raised Catholic. Both of your parents are Catholic, um, but you're still Catholic, yeah. <laughs> which is not true for many people yeah. in your situation. So tell us a little bit about why are you still Catholic? What, what what does that mean to you? Why do you choose to keep doing that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's kind of like a phrase, um, you know, you can be Catholic, but you can also be a practicing Catholic. Um, which I, is... <laughs> I have heard that phrase. Yeah. Yes. So um, coming from, um, you know high school and that area, um, I, my family was very involved and we would for sure, you know, go to mass every Sunday and all of that. And, um, well formed in theology, you know, from, um, education from a Catholic education, but then there definitely is a transition from going to high school to college and choosing to have that, um, faith be your own and choosing to go to mass every weekend when your parents aren't just taking you. And, really, and do, you, do you still go to Mass yes. every weekend? You do? Yes. I, where, where do you go? Yeah, so there's two Catholic um, churches in Ames. There's St. Cecilia's, which is more of a family-based parishioners, and then St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church, which has student and um, resident parishioners. And so I go to St. Thomas. Um, I go to Mass on the weekends and then daily Mass as well. So like, like you said, there is kind of that transition, right? We eventually have to decide, you know, I mean, is this really something I care about? Am I going to keep doing this? And, you know, I I think pretty much everybody has to 
eventually make that decision. Somebody has, some people have to make it many times. But so why, I guess, why for you specifically did you choose the way that you did? Mm -hmm. Why, why do you keep going? And maybe kind of a flip side of that question. Why do you think there's so many who don't make Mm -hmm. that choice? Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed that for me, when it stopped becoming um, an obligation or a routine, as I sometimes could tend to in the past. Um, so first of all, like gathered in a community, I there's nothing quite like just like being in a community that you know you're like known, loved, and cared for. And I've really found that at St. Thomas with the people I'm around. And then from being gathered there and like in prayer, being transformed in um, maybe old habits that weren't the best for you um, or you know, just building on joy and in prayer, um, a relationship specifically like with God, like that's why I keep coming back. So it used to be in my faith, at least like, a more of an obligation instead of a relationship. So. And what, what does, what does that relationship look like? Because that, that is a foreign concept to many, many people. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even many people who like you grew up in a religious tradition that, sort of that that relationship aspect is missing it's a thing that you do it's the way that i was raised it's my habit instead Mm -hmm. of a choice so what 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 does that relationship look like what does it feel that how do you experience it you know what makes that relationship with god you know how how does it compare to other relationships tell us a little bit about that yeah so it's different for everyone and obviously it's it's changing a lot as relationships do um i like to me like Jesus is a friend. Like I've, I've known him my whole life. Um, I feel like I've had more of a relationship with him in college just through prayer. So making it a daily scheduled part in my day where like I go and I talk to God, I talk to the Lord because right. Any relationship you have, you can't have without communication. I think a lot of us in college find that with like our high school friends. Like if you don't talk to them anymore, you know, those friendships kind of fade. So I've definitely seen that um, through having a constant prayer life. So having, you know, constant times where I'm able to talk and listen, you know, to God and try and hear where he's calling me or things like that. Thank you. And I, I, I don't want to pry, but if I could just dig a little deeper into that, um, obviously, you know, like you said, a relationship without talking doesn't really last. Right. So what, I, I guess, could you give us some specific examples? What, what is, what is prayer like for you? What does that look like? Can you kind sure. of walk us through the experience? And, you know, you said God talks back. How do you recognize those answers? Kind of, you, you know what I mean? Kind yes. of walk, walk us yes. through what, what this prayer looks like for yeah. you. So um, it's difficult because it's not, you know, it changes every day. Um, it develops, you know. And, but mainly, so if I'm going to pray, I would go to St. Thomas. And um, there's a thing called a tabernacle which is this structure that um, has the what we as Catholics refer to as the Eucharist. So um, t- in other forms of Christianity, it's like the, the host, so the, the bread, but we would say that that's Jesus. Um, and so it normally starts off with, you know, reading some form of the Bible or um, looking over my day, reflecting on it, reflecting on the past, um, but also... In the Catholic tradition, there's a lot of sacraments. Um, so there's seven sacraments. So um, the Mass would be one. So 
I try to go to daily mass. Um, and then there's different forms of um, events that can lead you to encounters with God. So like at St. Thomas, we have an event called Come Awake, which is a praise and worship event um, through like singing and different things like that. So, yeah. And I know, I know I'm, I'm putting you a little bit on the spot because to try and quantify spiritual experiences is not, Definitely. is not easy. Right. And I, and I understand that. Um, it just, it just seems to be something that, you know, so many people have, you know, that mm-hmm. there's, there's something we can't quite explain exactly what it is, but it, it just feels different. Um, can, in, if, for, for, for those in the audience who are not terribly familiar with the Catholic Church, with Catholicism, could you um, give us some specific examples of Catholic beliefs or things that the Catholic Church teaches that you ascribe to and how that influences your choices, how that influences your relationships with people, if, if, if that makes sense? Maybe rephrase. Yeah, so so I, I guess so. I mean, to to, to be Catholic um, obviously is being part of a being part of a community, but it also yeah. means on some level uh, subscribing to a particular set of beliefs about God and about about the world. Could you give us an example of some of those Catholic beliefs that you hold and how that influences how you see the world and the choices that you make on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, we'll see. <laughs> um, I know it's really broad. Yeah. But. Um, yes, so being Catholic, so Catholic means universal. So it's a universal church, which is a bit different than some other forms of Christianity. So basically what that means is, is if I went to Mass here in Ames, Iowa, if I went to Mass in Scotland, it would be the same. Um, so we have the same forms of the sacraments. Um, so that's why sometimes the Catholic Church we also refer to as the universal church. Um, living out on a daily life, um, for me it's it's been pretty ingrained just because I've grown up with it. So, um, you know, being Catholic is really learning about Jesus and then kind of becoming his disciple and um, living, living your life at like as Christ informs you to do or following his example, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, what it boils down to really is just like loving every person you encounter to the best of your ability, which is hard <laughs> sometimes. Right. It's hard. Some, sometimes harder than, than at other times, but that's, thank you. Um, and I, again, I want to dig into that just a tiny little bit. Okay. Um, you said, you know, it's for, for you, it's about being a disciple of Christ, following him. Mm-hmm. Um, could you give us a, a just just a specific example recently of a time when like you were like, I, I mean, it's it's the old aphorism. What would Jesus do? Right. So how did I get just kind of, you know, for the sake of our audience who may not be familiar with Christianity at all. Um, I mean, there are many people who don't know what it means to be a disciple of Christ. They don't know what he taught. They don't know what it means to follow him. What, a, what does that really mean? Just like one example from your life. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is like the best example, but um, so for instance, if I was telling someone about an experience, like if I had a group project and this one person, we'll call him Zach, was just a real jerk to me and I'm like brooding over it and I'm mad 
and I just want to go, as some people would say, vent to a friend or something. Zach, if you're listening, we're not talking about you, I promise. <laughs> um, then, like, when I'm talking to, let's say, my friend Anna about it, you know, to be, you know, the most kind and loving to Zach, I, I would hold back negative comments, right? Like, I wouldn't want... So it, it'd be, you know, subtle things like obstructing from gossip, you know, um, obstructing from talking about people in a negative view um, or pre-developing someone's notions of someone. So that's like a small example. Um, okay, that, make, that makes perfect sense. And, that, and that's interesting to me, too. Um, you know, you've talked a lot about the, the community that you have at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. is the church and how much you love that. But it, it, it sounds like it's not just a uh, a social gathering. It's not just a thing to feel good. That there's sometimes you have to make choices that maybe you don't feel like doing, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you would probably feel like griping in yeah. that situation, but but you wouldn't want to. Um, how does your faith influence things like your political opinions, for example, if it does? For, mm-hmm. for some people, it's irrelevant. Does it influence your politics, your worldview at all? And if so, how? Yeah, um, definitely. Like, above all, I am like a follower of Christ. And so I let that first lead my actions. And um, so before, you know, any type of voting, I try my best to learn about each political candidate and their parties to see really um, where things align. And it's it's a very difficult thing, voting, um, for me at least, because there are happy spots in both parties normally and there are some not so great things in both so what are some of those things some of those great spots and and not so greats yes so um specifically like social justice wise um it seems like this is a generalization but for the most part democrats seem to be the most progressive in social justice and looking out for um the marginalized um but then another kind of hot button topic is, um, the issue of abortion and, um, and the democratic party that is, um, permitted. I don't know. Yeah. So how would, how would you respond, um, to, to those who said that there's, there's no place for, um, religious belief in, in the public square in, you know, in, in, in politics that, you know, if you, you have your religious opinions, you have your faith, you have your worldview, but that's, that's a private thing. That's a personal thing and shouldn't really influence, you know, the, the public discourse. How would, how would you respond to that? Well, you know, everyone is formed by all their experiences. And if someone is formed by a spiritual experience, I don't see why that would be any different than, you know, the way someone grew up or, um, you know, there are, many different things in life that inform your decisions. And so I don't believe a religious one should be discounted just because it's religious. Are there things about your faith about the Catholic church that trouble you things that you don't understand or things that you're, you know, still sort of trying to trying to reconcile with, with your own experiences? And then I, I, I mean, most everybody is not 100% secure in wherever they are mm-hmm. in life. So are, are there things like that, and, and, and what are they? Um, 
I, I feel like I am a little unique in when I say no. <laughs> okay. Um, mainly just because um, I I have known this faith for a long time and um, I'm very fortunate to, um, you know, when I don't understand something. So there's a, a book called The Catechism, um, which lays out all the doctrine. So all, all of the for lack of a better term, rules, guidelines, whatever, of being Catholic. Um, and so if I'm ever confused, I'll consult that. And if I'm confused on that, then I'd talk to, like, our priest at St. Thomas. His name's Father Kyle. So I'd talk with him. And yeah. and the priest is never confused. He's he's really good. <laughs> All <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and, or if he is, right, like, that's there. there's a structure in, in the Catholic Church. So then he would go to the bishop or ask the bishop or research you know so. great thank you um real real quick if, if you could uh, i do have one more question that, that i want to ask you uh but before we get to that if you could just for the sake of our audience if we do have um anyone listening here who is interested in learning more about catholicism about the catholic faith or just religion or christianity in general um what are some some resources some authors or you know anybody that you would turn them to that you would recommend to to learn more yeah um there are a lot of great resources one um if you're a facebook user there's a organization called ascension presents and they have a lot of videos specifically by a priest named father mike schmitz and he gives great short videos on different topics that could be confusing um, there's another great speaker. Her name is Sarah Swafford, and um, she talks a lot about relationships and just building on that within the Catholic Church. Um, otherwise, if you're looking for more um, traditional form to go to, there is a, um, if you look up United Conference of Catholic Bishops, so USCCB, they have, um, you know, the the Bible. They have the the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, all the official church teachings. Great, thank you. And it, for for those in our audience who are here in Ames at Iowa State, um, tell us a little bit about the church you go to, when you guys meet, what kind of stuff you do, just in case you have anybody you wanted to wanted to come be a part of it. So yeah. So um, I go to St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church and Student Center. So there are weekend masses Saturdays at 4.45 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 7.30 p.m. And then there's daily mass on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at, at noon. And there's a student mass on Thursday nights at 9.15 p.m., and then there's confession on the weekends on Sunday, on Saturday, excuse me. And there are um, praise and worship events called Come Awake, um, normally every third Tuesday at St. Thomas at 7 p.m. Great, thank you. Sounds like you have a lot going on. Yes, that's some of them. That's not all. Awesome. Some of them. Okay. Well, you'll you'll have to come find out more, I guess. <laughs> but thanks again, Monica, for being here. Um, last question that we always ask of all of our guests. Um, I mean, we could we could keep talking about um, your faith for a while. It's a really deep topic. Um, but what is what is one thing that you wish 
people who are not Catholic better understood about your faith, about your church? Um, I'd say mainly that, you know, we are, we're led by Jesus to be his disciples to those who are around and to ultimately like spread the love of Jesus to all we encounter. So that's, that's what everything really boils down to. Wonderful. Great message. Thank you, Monica Moylan from the Catholic Student Community at Iowa State. Thank you so much for being here with us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Wow. Big thank you again there to, to Monica Moyland from the ISU Catholic Student Community. <clears throat> you know, so often, uh, and uh, I, I couldn't help but think of this as I was listening to, to both James and Monica, you know, very different experiences with religion. Uh, and so they're, they're in a very different place right now in terms of their opinion on it. But uh, so often, it's those personal experiences that shape our worldview, our beliefs, and then, of course, the way we act. And when we really take the time to ask questions, to listen, and to understand all of a sudden, people that we may disagree with don't seem so threatening because we know where they're coming from. And we can actually get to a point where we say, you know what, I don't agree with you, but I can see why you see it that way. And then we don't have to be enemies. And we may actually learn something after all. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Bury the Hatchet. I hope you've learned something today to help you better understand the people in your life, especially those you disagree with. For suggestions or questions about the show, shoot me an email at podcastburythehatchet at gmail.com. Again, that's podcastburythehatchet at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.